Well, welcome everyone. It's a blessing to have you all join once again. <coughs> um, I want to ask that we we uh, get our Bibles. Um, I'll be reading out of the NIV. I know that some of you have a, or at least I can't recall who has has clowned clowned me for the NIV never improved version. <laughs> um, you know, just as a side note, I want to because I used to be very uh, dogmatic about the translation that I used. I used to use the King James version, and for some reason. I, there was a lot of misconception, really, and a lot of, um, you know, just, uh, I was just misinformed, or uninformed, and I, I assumed that just because it was the King James Version, it was written in, in 1611 with Old English, I thought it was more of a holy translation, uh, come to find out that I was greatly mistaken, uh, there's nothing about the if and the doth and all that stuff that makes it more holy. Um, <laughs> in fact, uh, if you want to know a bit of history, the the um, Christians at that time actually didn't want that translation, didn't like it, and they preferred the Geneva Bible over that one. And they considered that um, translation to be unsatisfactory. And um, so, uh, by their standards, the King James Version, for those who love it, uh, they would consider that diluted. So, um, you know, anyways, let, let us not be dogmatic about translations. I think the important thing is that we actually have an abundance of translations, especially in the English language. Recording in progress. And we have to, um, we have to have people uh, translated into other languages uh, there's some languages that don't have Bibles and uh, I think too many people are trying to translate the Bible into English and we have an abundance of, of translations and we don't need any more other languages need it amen we the other languages need the the, the Holy Scriptures written for them amen because how many of you know and uh, the Lord's for everybody. The Lord's for every race. The Lord's for every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And there is no racism in Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. And I praise God for that. He ain't racist. <laughs> I thank the Lord. Um, and so, let, let us uh, come to prayer as you guys uh, get your Bibles. I, I, I'm, I'm delighted to say that... Uh, um, it will be a very encouraging message today because I, I intend on proclaiming the gospel. Um, and some of you might say, you know, wow, um, I was hoping to hear something different or a different topic. That, But here's the thing. I remember Paul Washer said this. He said that, you know, in heaven we will fully come to know the book of Revelation in its fullness, because it would have already come to pass, right? And because people speculate about the book of Revelation, and they love it, they devote so much time to all these theories. But he said this, he said, however, he says, in heaven, 
you will never cease to be in awe of the glories of the gospel and why you are there. And it was because Christ was crucified for your sins. Amen. And it will take an eternity of eternities for you to fully comprehend how God became a man, stooped down to your miserable condition in your degradation and sin, and had, had atoned for the most heinous sins you've ever committed. What great love, as John the Beloved said, that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. We are no longer children of of the wicked one. We're no longer children of the devil. We are children of the Most High God. Amen. I remember one time actually I had come encounter with a demon, a demon a demon possession, and that demon's face contorted, the dude's eyes turned black, and I by the Holy Ghost I was able to say point my finger at that devil. I said, devil, I don't fear you. I said, I'm a child of the most high God. <laughs> we're a child. We're children of the most high God. And for that, I thank the Lord. We're covered by his blood and we're no longer children of the devil. We can look Satan in his face and say that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Let, let us come to prayer. <clears throat> Father, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for this gathering. I thank you, Lord, for your presence. I thank you for your power. I thank you <coughs> for the cross. I thank you for the blood that was shed for our sins. I thank you, Lord, for the resurrection. The hope of the resurrection, Lord, that we shall not die. We shall not pass into judgment, but we shall live. And like Paul says, we're not as those who sorrow. But our loved ones have merely fallen asleep. Our brothers and sisters have merely fallen asleep. And at the last trumpet call of God, we shall arise. And you have not appointed us to wrath, but appointed us to obtain salvation. And so, Lord, for that we thank you and we glorify you. And Father, I pray that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. I pray, God, that we would come to know the gospel in its fullness. I pray, Lord, that you would assure your people of your love. I pray that you would assure your people of the forgiveness of sins. I pray for those, Lord, that are shaken, Lord, and troubled by their imperfections, Lord, that the glories and the wonders of the cross of Jesus Christ would cleanse them from a guilty conscience and grant them peace, Lord, not a false peace, but a peace that only your Spirit can provide. For after all, Lord, you are the Prince of Peace. So, Father, I pray for your unction. I pray for your power. I pray that, Lord, that you would grant me the ability to proclaim your word in truth and proclaim your word with compassion and also, Lord, with the strength you provide. Father, I ask, Lord, for prophetic uh, declarations. And I pray that your spirit would be present with us, O Lord. God, I pray that you would eliminate all distractions. And I pray that a spirit of reverence would be in this gathering. Father, by your spirit, we pray. Move, O Lord, we pray. 
And I ask that you would bring every demonic spirit low and that it would bow in submission to your lordship. Father, we rebuke every demonic spirit and Lord, we denounce them and say they have no place in this gathering. And Holy Spirit, may you glorify Christ and may his name be preeminent in this gathering. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. <coughs> Thank you, Jesus. <coughs> Glory to God. As I said, I, I intend on proclaiming the gospel. You know, Paul, he tells the church at Rome, he says, I, <coughs> he says, I'm delighted to, um, visit you who are at Rome. He says, and preach the gospel to you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift that by your faith, we might be mutually edified. And what Paul meant by mutually edified is the fact that they had faith in the gospel. That was his comfort. Um, to, to know that there, there exists a, a body of people that still have faith in the word of God. They have faith in the truth of God. They have faith in, in uh, the salvation of Jesus Christ. And it's that self-same faith that what passes them from death unto life. And that, that was uh, Paul's comfort. Um, but I, I want to ask that we turn to uh, John 3.16. It's a very familiar passage of scripture. And I'm sure that you're well aware of it. Uh, John chapter 3 verse 16. Some of you know it by memory. Um, you know. And that's fine, but I still would like, uh, I would still encourage you to bring out your text because our memory is fallible and we, we make mistakes. And um, let's just read it, right? Jesus opened up the scrolls when he went into the synagogue, so let us open up our scrolls. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> John chapter 3, verse 16, <clears throat> the Bible says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him <coughs> shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Amen. And so... um. Amen, somebody. Thank the Lord for that. That 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 is a, um, you know, it's more than, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the uh, American football player, Tim Tebow. He used to put John 3.16 on his face, right? It's more than what you um, tag on your face. It's, it's more than a hashtag. It's more than just something that you put on your coffee mug. It's more than what you... Um, you know, stamp on, on a, a decorative uh, picture, you know, in place, you know, for, for decoration in, in your home and to, to make your home look appealing. It's more than that. And in fact, it's more than a verse, right? The, there is history behind this verse. There is an actual historical event 
that that this that makes this verse possible and this historical event is that 2000 years ago over 2000 years ago God sent his only son to die an agonizing and excruciating death upon a Roman crucifix and for those of you that are um interested in history understand that um, this isn't just simply spoken about in the New Testament scriptures this is attested even by um, Greek Greco and, and Roman and Jewish sources that attest to his death amen so don't let anybody tell you well the Bible just says this you must understand that the Bible is a historical document a historical document with eyewitnesses. Amen? And while we accept the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. And so we believe his report. We believe what he has declared in his word. Hallelujah. We've, let me, let me uh, type amen so I, I know that we're uh, following. I, I'm, I'm waiting for some of, our, some of the other responses. Okay, praise God. I just want to know what we're following. <clears throat> now, I want to turn your attention to uh, verse uh, 16. And the Bible says this, For God so loved the world. Now, this, this passage, this verse is <coughs> often mis men, uh, has been misunderstood because people have looked at that word so and have said, God so loved the world. And, and, and they, they think of it almost as, um, as we would use English today. Like, I love you so, 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 so much. But actually, that's not what, that's not what the text says. In the Greek, it says, Hutos gar agape sin hatheos ton kosmon. In the beginning where it says, Hutos, it means in this manner. Gar means for. So, for in this manner, God has loved the world. Is is a literal translation. And in what manner? So, so is is actually in the Greek the word hutos, and it means in this manner. And so we have to ask, what is that manner that we are talking about? Or another, let me rephrase it. In this way, God has demonstrated his love to the world. That, that, that's probably more of a, a, a literal translation. In this way, God has demonstrated that he has loved the world in this action. And we have to ask ourselves, what action are we talking about? And the action that God has loved the world is through the, the cross. Because there are many things that we can look to that would, that, 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 um, would incite our hearts to believe that God has loved the world. We can look to uh, the Exodus. We can we can look to certain acts throughout the scriptures and say, you know, God did this before, and so therefore He loves us. But the most great grounding reality that God loves you and He doesn't hate you is rooted in a hill called Calvary over 2,000 years ago when He sent His Son to die an excruciating death on a cross. It's in that manner, it's in this way that he has demonstrated that he has loved you. 
Amen? For, for in this manner, God has loved the world or has demonstrated his love for humanity that he gave his only son. And we know that this, so we have to ask ourselves, um, or rather, uh, we have to focus in on the motivation for that giving, right? And we come to learn that he gave. And so, in other words, he provided a gift. And that gift stems not from a God who is reluctant, not a God who is um, desiring to see you condemned, but it is a God full of grace. It is a God who has a disposition that that uh, that gives and and longs to be gracious to us, and we see right here in. Uh, <coughs> I want to ask that we would turn to Luke chapter twenty three, and so we can <coughs> see firsthand what the act of this giving amounted to. Luke chapter twenty three. Beginning at verse um, 26, I want us to do a little bit of scripture reading. And um, once again, I'm sure that you guys are familiar with this passage, but there, there's power in, in reading the word of God. There's power in reading his, um, his holy word, right? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. For all scripture is given by inspiration of God or is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, reproof, training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. So we want to look at his word. Why? Because it's a mirror that, that holds up to us, what we it holds it holds up uh, to us what we look like and where we need to change. What 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 areas of changing do you need? What areas of changing do I need? And so I, I the the Bible says this: the man who looks intently. Into the law of liberty. He says that in James. Let me ask you this question right now. Are you looking or are you hearing intently? Or are you are you allowing are you allowing the words to fall to the ground? You know the Bible says the Bible says of the prophet Samuel that he did not allow one of the Lord's words to fall to the ground. Are you allowing the word of the Lord to fall to the ground? Are, are you a passive listener or are you an active listener? Because it says, he who looks intently into the law of liberty. So what that means is, first of all, you must look. And you can only look if you have eyes to see. And not only are you to look, you are to look intently. That is to say, because I, I can, you know, I, I can just be chilling at a park and and a lot of information is fed to my eyes but until intentionality 
influences my seeing, then I actually become conscious. There's a sort of seeing where you're it, 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 you're seeing with the subconscious mind. You're not really paying attention. You know, you're seeing stuff. Uh, I know that you know what I'm talking about. You just kind of passively seeing things. But when you're actively seeing things, that's where you're able to actually find. So it takes the volition of your will. It takes action on your part to look into the scriptures, to hear, right? And not only be a hearer, but to be a doer of the word. Amen, somebody? Amen. So you, you, know, you know what an active uh, 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 listener sound, uh, looks like? It means stop thinking about what you're going to eat later. It, it means stop uh, thinking about what that person said to you earlier. You're not even realizing that you're under the deception of the wicked one when you succumb to thoughts like that when God's word is, is attempting to carve your character in conformity to his image. Let me just put it into perspective and we'll move on. It's as if, the, because the Bible says, you know, we thank God continually for when you receive the word of God which you accepted from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God that is at work in you who believe. So if it's, the, if it's deemed the word of God, that would mean this, that if the word of God is proclaimed, or if the word of God is read, or if the word of God is listened to, and there is not an active listener or one who inclines his or her ear to that message. It's as if you're postponing God and says your voice and your word is not important enough to listen to in the moment. Can you imagine saying that to Jesus in person? Oh, you know, you know, stop, Jesus. <laughs> Please, I, I got I to gotta check my Facebook real quick. He who has ears, let him hear. You, let, let, me, let me shock you for a bit. If you keep doing that, you know there will come a point when the Holy Ghost will, will be silent on you. Okay, go ahead. Do what you want to do. You won't hear from me. That's a dangerous place. See, people want to act like they're disciples, but they can't listen to the Holy Ghost. Let, let me challenge you even further. People want to act like they're disciples, but they can't listen to a leader. They say, oh, I submit to God. I love God. But, they, but the, when they're rebuked, they can't, they can't endure it. See, what you must understand is that God... Jesus says, when you have done this to the least of my followers, you have done to me. Such that if, if you are rebellious towards a leader, you're rebellious towards God. If that leader is proclaiming to you the scriptures, right? The scriptures, not, not man's philosophy, not man's tradition, none of that nonsense. I'm talking about this right here. Saying, hey, you know, hey, brother, this, this is what the word says. Oh, yeah, I know, I know that. I have my degree in theology. Rebellious. If you don't want to say amen, you can say out. <clears throat> um, Luke chapter 23, 
I know that was kind of getting off train, off track a little bit, but um, as I've said before, sometimes the Lord wants me to stop and interject to to correct some of you. And and when I say correct, I, I don't have anyone in particular in mind. It's not like I'm throwing low blows. I just navigate by the Spirit and I listen to Him. Amen. So, you know, you know. Um, anyways, I'll just leave that there. Uh, Luke chapter twenty-three, verse twenty-six. <coughs> it says this, <coughs> and so we're looking at because it said God so loved the world. We're looking at what that giving looks like, right? As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon of Cyrene, who was on his way in the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women. The, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine and vinegar and said, If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. There was written uh, a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. <coughs> One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And so you, are, you see the devil even at work. While Jesus is hanging on the cross, see the devil tried to tempt Jesus to avoid the cross from his birth all the way to his death. You see it in Peter's case where he says, Lord, you, you can't die. And what does Jesus say? Rebuke me, Satan, for you're, remind, you're mindful of the things of men, not the things of God. In the wilderness where he says, just bow down and worship me, and, and all of this will be yours. He kept tempting him to have a crown without a cross. And even to the point to where he's on the cross, he says, look, look, the devil is using criminals. Just save us. He, the, he's tempting him to prove himself. How many of you are tempted by the devil to prove yourself? And to prove yourself will require for you to stop bearing your cross. Because when you, when you have declared yourself to be crucified to Jesus, you have given up your rights. 
You're a slave of righteousness. You're a bondservant of Jesus Christ. You have no will and right of your own any longer. Amen? Can you endure mockery? Can you endure the insults? Can you endure the, the ridicule and the sneering from, from religious people and still insist on obeying the mandate of God on your life and not getting off the cross? That, that one's for free. You can say amen. <laughs> it's hard. In fact, without God, it's impossible. But it says this right here. It says, uh, <clears throat> But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And then uh, we're almost coming to a close with this passage. Um, this is death of Jesus here. It was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. So dark was the day that the Son of God died that even the sun refused to shine. The sun covered its face at the ridicule that the Son of God... The sun... The mere creation of, of the great Creator beheld its own author's death. Isn't that interesting? And refused to shine. That's how gruesome the death of Jesus Christ was. And you know why he died? Because your sin and my sin was that heinous such a great criminal act before God <coughs> that it required the pure blood of God himself. Hallelujah. So in what manner has God so loved the world that he gave his son to be subject to the ridicules, the mockings, the sneerings, the, the, tor the torture of the very ones that he had fashioned in the womb. Do you understand what great humility that ha would require in order for the creator himself, the one who inhabited the praises, in the throne from eternity past with angels laying prostrate before him and he by love would be incited and, and, and motivated and moved to incarnate himself and wrap, wrap himself in the flesh womb of a woman called Mary 
and and become a humble peasant and be born in a manger and live 33 years of his life subject to hunger, subject to weeping, subject to a frailty, subject to weakness, subject to sleeping and all the other things that we as humans experience. He wept at our funerals. He went to our festivities and at the climactic moment in which he was to fulfill the will of the Father in his life, he was to hang naked upon a cross for your sin and for mine. Not just mine, not just the world, but yours. Every sin that you've ever committed, it was precisely for that that Jesus was to suffer that agony, suffer that torture. And, and we, we have this idea in our mind that because he, he was God, that somehow it was less difficult. You must understand, this is, great, this is the great mystery of godliness. The Bible says that he was a man, that God was manifested in the flesh. He was a 100% man. So he experienced 100% the frailties of humanity, the weakness of humanity. And so the difficulty you would find is the same difficulty he found. And he expressed that difficulty and that agony in the garden. He says, if there's any way that is possible for this cup to be removed from me, Father, I pray that you would remove this cup from me. I don't want to drink this agonizing cup. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Let me ask you, is, is that your heart this evening? Is that your heart this morning? Do you still find it within your heart that says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done? As the writer of Hebrews says, you have not yet resisted sin to the point of the shedding of your blood. He says, we desire for you to maintain the same confidence firm until the end. It says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you do not grow weary and faint of heart. <clears throat> Hallelujah. But in what manner has God loved the world? In this manner, God has loved the world. <coughs> it says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, it's a messianic prophecy. It says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It was the will of the Lord to crush Christ. Isn't that amazing? The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? The sinless Lamb of God the Father gave 
for a sinful, grotesque, adulterous world. But yet, in the book of Hosea, God says of his own idolatrous and adulterous people, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? Isn't that interesting that God can look at his sinless son and say, I will give you up for this sinful world. But he looks to his sinful people and says to himself, how can I give you up? Surely it is the case that the ways of the Lord are not our ways, neither are his thoughts our own. Hallelujah. <coughs> Hallelujah. Now why why so the Lord he gave, right? The Lord he gave his son. And this this giving disposition is rooted in his character, rooted in his attributes, rooted in who he is. The Bible tells us in 1 John that God is love. Right? In Psalm 103, verse 8, if you want to turn there real quickly, the Bible says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. I'll read that again. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger, abounding in love. Why did he give? Because the Lord is compassionate. He is gracious. He is slow to anger and he is abounding in love. If we read in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. Are we turning there? Or are you being obstinate? I ain't turning it to anything. Is that your heart's attitude? Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22. Because the Lord's great love we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So you know why you aren't consumed? You know why you didn't die and go to hell? Because the Lord's great love, you're not consumed. Aren't you thankful that hell didn't swallow you up? Amen. Some of you that find it difficult to stop uh, worshiping, uh, you, you know, your movies and and wor- listening to all that worldly junk and garbage. Some of you that can't give up all your sins and trash and all these other things, you, you know, you know why, you know why we 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 get to that place or why why you can't find the spirituality to get up and actually pray in the morning and you rather do something else is because you you are not recounting the reality that God didn't swallow you up in hell. Hallelujah. <clears throat> See, if the Lord, if the Lord wanted to judge you, he would have already killed you and sent you to hell. But the Lord, because of the Lord's great love, the Bible says in Lamentations chapter 3, 
I am not consumed. You are not consumed. You should have died and gone to hell. You should be lifting up your eyes in the flames right now without ever having a drop of water dipped on your parched tongues. As, as I've heard it said before that people pray in hell but their, their, their prayers are never answered. They plead for eternity and eternity and eternity. A billion years are not second closer to an exit than when they first began. And they will plead and find themselves consumed by the wrath of God. But how many of you know that today we stand with breath in our lungs because the Lord's great mercy. We are not consumed. He is abounding in love. He's gracious and he doesn't will for any to perish. He doesn't will for me to perish. He doesn't will for you to perish. It breaks the heart of God that people choose the ways of sin and wrath and judgment. Hallelujah. <coughs> But why, why was he motivated to give? <coughs> because he is abounding in love. You know, God, God's character is always ridiculed. God's character is always blamed. People always like to say, where was God when this and this happened? Right? Everything is thrown on God. What, what, why aren't people throwing stuff on the devil? Amen. You know, so-and-so was raped. Where was God? No. How about you start asking, where was the devil? He was there. Why do we keep blaming everything on God? There's a devil to pin a lot of stuff on his back. Start blaming him or start looking at yourself and start saying, you know what? I think there are things that happened in my life because I was a fool. Amen, somebody we, we following? Amen. I'm still waiting for some of your responses. Let you know that you're yeah, the rest of you are, are slumbering. You're uh um you're like the disciples who were, were in the garden and fell asleep. I'm I'm just messing. Um, but I want, I want us also to focus on this here. <coughs> um, the Bible says here that he loved the world. It didn't say that he loved the church. Because some people would say like, you know, oh yeah, I understand he loves, he loves his own people. And 
Um, and I know he loves the church. I know I understand that. Um, but that's not what the text says here. The Bible doesn't say for God so loved his church. Because it's more believable to, to believe that, you know, God's people who go to church, who actually love him and worship him, he loves those people. But as far for as for all the drunkards, the you know the the uh, gang members, for all the thugs, for all the thieves, you know he, he hates those people. No, that's not what the text says. The Bible says, "For in this manner God loved the world." Right. So who is the world? The world are those neighbors of yours that you get so annoyed with. Those neighbors are those same ones that mock you for your faith. And can I let you in on a little secret? The world is was actually you and I. Amen. You know, remember those drunken nights? Remember the, the times that you were doing drugs? Remember the time you were, uh, you know, forgive me for the strong language, but a, a promiscuous whore? And I, I can use that language only because I see it in the Bible. God uses that word. He uses the word whore. So don't think I'm acting like un, unchristian. The time you were promiscuous, the time that you, you, you've committed so many grotesque and sexual sins, the times you used to worship idols, the times you used to blaspheme God. The times you used to mock God's people. And yet, it's those self-same people. It's not the actions that God loves. God utterly hates those deeds. More than you and I hate them. And yet, God loved the people. <clears throat> So much so as we looked in Luke chapter 23, what did Jesus say even as the Roman soldiers were piercing him in his side, hanging naked on a cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So think of that. Uh, let me even go further. Not, not only the thugs, not only the thieves, not only the drunkards, the rapists, those that are into the occult, those that are even, you know, that live in the dark shadows of, of humanity, that commit these atrocities and 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 you know just whatever your mind can think of that is just the darkest spectrum of humanity as difficult as we may find it to be god still had compassion on those people and still to this day doesn't will for them to perish
if we look in uh, <coughs> Romans chapter 5, if you can turn there, Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. The Bible says this, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. For who? For the, the old granny baking cookies for the little kids in the street. For the person who donates their extra time to the, to the uh, food drive. No. For Christ died for the church. No. And that's true, but he, would, he died for those who would ultimately become the church. But it says this, He died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, before you were even without Christ, when you were still ungodly and wicked and out of the way, Christ died for you. He spilt his life's blood. He so loved the world. He loved the world. And you know you know what's sad, my brothers and sisters, some of you? You know this. And you're still looking for love from the people that God told you you can't be with. You're still looking for love from your old ways of life. I'm going to say something very hard, but I, I, I mean it in love. Don't be an adulteress. Don't commit adultery on the Lord. Because some of you, that's what you're doing. Let, let us let us be enveloped with by his love let us cherish his love let us find appreciation for that love that has spared us from death from the penalty of our sin from hell from destruction <clears throat> But once again, it says that while we were still ungodly, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it wasn't anything that was inherent in us. It wasn't anything that we were doing that motivated God to love us. It, 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 John, the beloved, says not that we loved God, but he first loved us. Isn't that what the word says? It's not that we even loved him. 
And that therefore, because we loved him, he loved us. No, it says that he loved us. Therefore, we love him. It wasn't that we loved him at the first. We The Bible actually speaks with strong language and says that we were hostile to God. We were enemies of God through wicked works. Do you understand that, my brothers and sisters? That before Christ, you were his enemy. I know we don't like to hear that. We don't think it's true. And some of us were self-justifying in the world. But understand this, my brothers and sisters. The axe of God's judgment was hanging over your head because you were his enemy. His axe of judgment, his wrath was upon you and upon me. You know why? Because we were enemies. And though we may never have said it verbally, we gnashed the teeth at him as it were and despised his ways. You know when David sinned with Bathsheba? He committed adultery. You know what the Bible says? He despised the commandments of the Lord. Pretty hard, huh? Let me ask you this, for those of you that are fornicating in this group. The Bible says, you despise his commands. Wow. Despise his commands. For those of you that are with someone that you're not supposed to be with, you despise his commands. That's hard language, isn't it? It's a bit silent. Why is it so silent? Feels awkward when the light is on you. Paul says, I say this to your shame. There's a godly place for shame. And that shame is actually supposed to be for your good. So that we turn from the errors of our ways. Woe unto you if you don't have shame. That's a really dangerous place to be. Very dangerous. If you have shame right now, bless God for that. Because that means that your senses are responding appropriately. Your senses are responding the way they should. Now, for those of you that are living in the light, that may be account for why you don't have shame. You know, I'm living in the light. I have a clear conscience. I'm loving the Lord. Right? <coughs> But but notice, I, I want us to focus on that, that <coughs> it wasn't anything that you did. It wasn't any, anything that I've done that motivated God to love me. In fact, 
if if we could be honest, a lot of what we did should have prevented God from loving us. But as it says, that while we were still ungodly, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave his life's blood for you. And you know, he didn't just give it for the world as in a very general way. He gave it to you specifically. Amir, he died for you personally. Kezron, he died for you personally. Nancy, he died for you personally. He died for all of you personally. You know, they've said this before, but that if you were the only one on earth, that Jesus would still have died for you. Wow. He would still have died for you. You know, there's a song, There is no greater love. No greater love. Says they hung him high, they stretched him wide, he hung there dead, for me he died, that's love. Hallelujah. Now it says whoever, so that God so loved the world that whoever believes in him. So you know what? Whoever means, it means whoever. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, because some people, I've I've heard some people say, you know, if you only knew the things that I've done, (coughs) you know, you wouldn't be inviting me to church, and, you know, God cannot possibly forgive me. But this is what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, Well, actually, beginning at verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To save who? Churchgoers? To save the religious? No, it says to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. So if you think you're bad, you you must be calling Paul a liar here because he says, I am the worst. See, wasn't Paul, Paul, he, it, hold on, it says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So in other words, Paul is saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm getting orders from the religious hierarchy in order to kill Christians. And I'm a blasphemer. And it says that he was breathing out threatenings. And he wanted the heads of every person that claimed to be a part of the way. So it wasn't just like, you know, like... A, a thug or a gang member robbing someone, killing them. See, it was more than that. He was killing God's sacred people. He was after them, 
Not just sinners. He was after the holy people of the Lord. And it says that through Paul, Jesus Christ desired to display his immense patience with everybody. And says this is a trustworthy saying. So in other words, you should have no doubt about this. It's worthy of full acceptance, not partial acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, of those sinners that he came to save, I am the worst. So you know what that means? You, though you are a bad sinner, you're probably not the worst. But even if you were the worst, Jesus Jesus can still and wants to save you. And what what does he say? That he would serve as an example for those who would believe. So, it's welcome to whoever. Whoever so wills. But you know what it requires that links you to that is your faith. It doesn't require for you to claw, crawl on glass. It doesn't require for you to uh, 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 clothe yourself in sackcloth and throw dust and ashes on your head. It doesn't require for you to whip and scourge yourself. No, Jesus doesn't want all of that. In fact, let me say this. Your sort of uh, uh, self-loathing, your sort of I need, uh, you know, thinking that says I need to cry one more hour or I need to somehow punish myself. You know, let me let, and I, I don't want to add further guilt to you. But that's actually an insult to his grace. Because you know what it suggests? That you can contribute something. Your righteousness, your your crying enough, your contrition, your feeling bad enough can somehow add to the blood of Jesus Christ. And no, he would have none of it. It's an insult to his grace. And he doesn't want his grace insulted. He wants his grace fully received. You know why? You know why it's an insult to his grace? Because an unbelieving heart, a doubtful heart says this, God, you're not that good enough to where you could save such a wretched sinner like me. I don't think you're that giving. I don't think you are that loving. It's an insult to his grace. It's like telling a king who is rich, you can't buy my car. What thinks you? What makes you think you can buy my car? It's like, excuse me, that rinky-dink car, that piece of trash. <laughs> I can't. I can't buy that. You're gonna insult my wealth. No. <coughs> Amen, somebody? Amen. So,
So whoever is whoever. Um, now though, you, the Bible does tell us in John 3 that you have to believe. It says whoever believes. So it doesn't say that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that everyone will that everyone will be saved. That's not what it says. It's qualified by the fact that you have to have faith. <clears throat> you know how you have faith? The Bible says this in Hebrews. Harden not your heart. If if you hear his voice today, harden not your hearts. Because you can hear his voice. Let me say this. You can even hear this preach and harden your heart. You you wanna you wanna um let, want me to let you know how hardening begins? You don't think it's that important. Or you think you can put it off. I can't tell you how many people will actually uh, 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 stop praying and stop reading their Bible to give a text to their boyfriend. Oh, <laughs> he just messaged me on Instagram. <laughs> I was, oh, yeah, Jesus. Uh, let me put you kind of on the back burner for a minute. Oh, he, he liked my photo. Ooh. Sorry, Jesus. And, and really what you're saying is, you're not saying sorry, you're saying excuse me while I ignore you. Excuse me. And you know the, those form of excusings, you know what that, you know what happens each time you, you say no to the Holy Spirit? You're hardening your heart. hardening it and so you know the writer of Hebrews says you know if you hear his voice today don't it says today not tomorrow right now let me ask you this my brothers and sisters do you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart today what is he speaking to your let me ask you this are you even hearing his voice you know, you know why I'm asking this. You know, you know why I'm focusing on the, in on this, because I can feel by the Spirit that some of you are not listening, and then all of a sudden you jump up. Is he talking to me? And and the reason why I make this uncomfortable because I'm not here to comfort you to hell, man. If you want that, you you can leave. Go find Joel Osteen. Go find somebody else. I ain't here gonna. I ain't gonna comfort you to hell. I'm sorry. I ain't that sort of teddy bear, false preaching, sugar coating guy. I, I I remember what one man, what my friend said. He says I'd rather um, offend you into heaven than to comfort you to hell. In fact, if I ever do that, you should lose respect for such a person like that. You know why? Because you, those sort of people don't care about those that they speak to. They don't. You know why? Because they're all about them. 
They just want to promote themselves. And all that they can teach on is going to gain a large, larger crowd, a larger gathering. And they don't care about populating heaven. They'd rather populate followings and populate churches rather than populate heaven. But I'm here to make the devil mad. I don't know about you. I don't know if you're with it. I ain't no, I don't know if you're down the ride. But I'm, I'm willing to make the devil mad. And I'm trying to see angels rejoice. So if either you're with it or you ain't. Because I don't know. I don't roll with half steppers. You get me? And so it is what it is. And so I might say some things that offend you. It's good for you. Deal with the offense. What did Jesus say? Blessed are all those who are not offended of me. I I don't think you're hearing me. Let the devil keep pimp slapping you. Let the devil just tear you up and, and chew you out like lunch. Because if, if you can't endure sound doctrine, how are you going to endure his temptations? You, you get what I'm saying? If you can't endure the word of the Lord that's supposed to build you up, how are you going to be able to endure the onslaughts of Satan who's tearing you down? You ain't going to last. And so... I say some of these things. I, I know it can be hard. And I, I don't want to be heavy handed. But. I've seen a lot of casualties. I've seen a lot of casualties in this walk. This Christian walk. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. And my brothers and sisters, the reason why I have to harp on some of this is because I don't want you to fall on the wayside. I don't. Amen? Because, you know, hell, hell is a long time, man. Hell is a long time. I know that we probably don't think about that very much, but it's it's kind of in our Bibles. It's it's there. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The fire is never quenched and the worm never dies. It says the smoke will rise up to the throne of the Lord. And those that follow the beast and the false prophet and Satan will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Forever. How horrifying. And so I, um, may the Lord give you grace. May the Lord give you grace. And I'm not, let, let me pray real quick. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would give your people grace. Lord, strengthen them. Help them to hear. 
Father, I pray, God, that you would help them to open up their hearts, Lord, that they, they may hear and that they may, Father, that your word would fall on good ground. That they would not be like Job. That your word records that because of his suffering was too great, it was, it was too great for words. So, Father, I just pray that you would help help your people to receive by your Spirit. And, Lord, that you would strengthen them according to your grace. God, I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. <coughs> but the Lord's Word says this, that Whoever would believe. And you know, like I said, the Lord isn't requiring that you crawl on glass. He's not requiring that you scourge yourself or beat yourself. He doesn't require for you to, you know, cry one more hour or, or to any of that. All the Lord requires for you to do is to believe on His grace. That's all that He requires for you to do. And, and in fact, that's what they asked Jesus. They said, what must we do to do the works of God? He says, here is the works of God, that you would believe on him who was sent. And see, that's, that's actually the good news. Some of us might think that that's too difficult to receive. Why? Because by nature, we want to contribute something. We want to be able to give something. We want to be able to offer to God something that would earn His favor. But that's not what grace is about. Grace is about unmerited favor. <clears throat> you didn't earn this favor. It was a gift. See, gifts are not earned. Wages are earned. And how many of you know the Bible says that we had received the wages of sin and that was death. That was our wages. But the Bible was actually offering an alternative and says this, for those who would believe on His grace, they can freely receive His gift. The gift of eternal life. And who is it available to? It's whoever would believe. You might say, is that all that is required? Is that all that I must give? Yes. In fact, as I've said already, the, the Bible says, if you seek to be justified by your works, you are fallen from grace. Why? Because grace and works cannot mesh together. They, they are incompatible. Because the platform upon which God will receive you is not on the basis of what you provide. It's on the basis of what He has already given on your behalf in order to accept you. And that was the giving. That was stemmed from His grace. And it's what we read there in Luke chapter 23. Jesus did all the enduring. The Bible says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It's not the will of the Lord that he would crush you. It's the will of the Lord, according to Isaiah, that the Father would crush the Son for you. 
That's good news. <coughs> As it says in Ephesians chapter 2, if you go to Ephesians chapter 2, um, verse 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. So what is it by? By grace. So not by works. Not by you uh, going to church and up. Not by you feeding the homeless. Not by you winning the lost. Not by you. You can knock on every lost person's door until your knuckles bleed. Or, you know, as one man says, that you can get baptized as many times until the tadpoles have your social security number. <laughs> or your wallet or your money. Or you get baptized that often. And uh, you're still not getting in. You only get in by grace, not by what you can do. What is grace? Grace is a gift. It's, it's, it's incompatible to say that I work for a gift. Right? By definition, it's a gift is something that's stemming from this person's own will to bestow upon you. And the appropriate response is to receive it. You know, it, it's kind of like, um, I don't know if you've ever had a bad gift. And, it, and you don't want to insult the person, so you're like, ah, thank you. I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but I'm not going to put this up in my house. But no, uh, for for you Europeans, we'll give you some paper plates for your for a gift. Because <laughs> you guys don't have paper plates, right? <laughs> we don't use this. I'm sorry, Americans. <laughs> so. It's not that good of a gift, right? When you got like some really great plates. Um, but it's insulting to not receive it. But this gift that he gave was the greatest of all. <coughs> this gift that he gave was the greatest of all. No one could outgive the Lord. I know they say it often, but you literally can't outgive God. You may try, but you can't. Why? Because everything already belongs to Him. But it says, by grace you have been saved through faith. So, grace is the grounds upon which, what, upon what motivated God's heart to give. He is gracious, abounding in love, like we read in Psalm 103 verse 8. But he's loving, even while we were still sinners, Christ still gave. Christ still gave his life and laid it down as a ransom for many to save sinners, like it says in First Timothy chapter one verse sixteen. So that through even the saving of the worst of sinners, his immense patience might be displayed to everyone. But it's through faith. You obtain this grace by faith. It says in Romans chapter 5 verse 1, Therefore having been justified by faith, 
um, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says we have access to this grace wherein we now stand. On what grounds? Upon our faith. And so what is it that we have faith in? We don't have faith in our faith. We don't have faith in our good works. We don't have faith in any of that. In fact, one of the prerequisites in order to receive grace is that you have to have faith in the reality that all you have to contribute are your bad works and your sin. Why? First John if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And what does the Bible say? If I claim to be without sin, it says, I make God out to be a liar. So if you're saying my sin is so bad that God cannot receive me, you know what you're saying? God, you're a liar. And but. That's paralleled and echoed by what David said. And David said this when in the chapter, I think is Romans chapter 3 or Romans chapter 4, when he talks about justification by faith, salvation by faith, he says, let God be true and every man a liar. That's, what, that's why David was justified. And Paul speaks of David and says, even David speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. He says, blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed is the man whose sins are covered and who the Lord will not count sin against him. And, says, God, and it says that even David says in the Psalms, let God be true and every man a liar. So what must God be true in? That he is able to save to the uttermost whoever comes unto him through Christ. But let every man be a liar who says, I'm good, I, I'm good enough, I think he should allow me into heaven by my good deeds. Let that man be a liar because he's declaring God to be a liar. He's declaring God to be false. And he's claiming to be without sin ultimately. You know, the interesting thing is that many men, many people will say, you know, we're human, we make mistakes. But at the end of the day, when you press them on it, they don't really feel like it's sin. They feel like it's a therapeutical or medical problem. But no, the prerequisite, what God requires of you and I is for us to view it as a criminal act before his holiness. That we would not... Um, minimize our sin, but we would embrace it for what it really is. It's treason against God. It's violation against his laws. And, and it's not that he wants us to remain there, but we must first recognize that in order for us to appreciate how great his grace truly is. That he is able to save you despite all of that. And not only able, he's willing. Able and willing. But it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. You know, I think the problem is we give ourselves too much credit. Or we want to at least. You know, I fasted twice a week. I did this, I did that. I gave that good old Mormon a rebuke. Ha <laughs> yes. I rebuked that false doctrine. Heck yeah. 
And then just tally up your stripes, right? Actually, Jesus says, you have your reward in full. Don't think you're rewarded for that. We do everything out of our appreciation that Jesus has already done it all. Everything. <clears throat> you, want, you want me to give you an indication how the works mindset is already setting in? If you're like, oh, I guess I'll come today. I guess I'll go to Bible study. I guess I'll pray. Why? Because all that's about motivation and works-based. What what's happening is you're already forgetting what Jesus has done for you. Because if you were remembering what Jesus had done for you, you would be incited to do things out of love and joy and free grace. I guess I got to tell the sinner about Jesus. Because if I don't, then he's going to be, you know, I don't want to hear it from him. That sort of stuff, you get what I'm saying? That's that's not where God wants you to live. I guess I'll read the Bible. I'll just check this stuff off. I guess I'll forgive the person. Right, that's That's not where the Lord desires for us to live out of. The Bible says that if, he says, add to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, charity. He says, for if you possess these traits in increasing measure, it says it will produce, it will enable you to be <coughs> um, productive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. It says, but if you don't possess these, it says, you have forgotten that you've been purged from your old sins. And so when you forget that you've been forgiven from your old sins, the quality of your Christianity becomes lower. And it actually becomes harder for you to forgive certain people. Remember the wicked servant? The Lord, that the king forgave him? I forgot, I think the currency translated to like a million dollars. Or maybe a million euros, right? Or whatever. And and he was forgiven of the debt. He was thrown in prison. He had a family and everything. And then what happened is that the king forgave him of the debt. And then he ends up like demanding that one of his servants, the guy who was forgiven, that one of his servants pay him a day's wages. And I think that he was like going to beat his servant or something like that because he didn't pay him a day's wages. It's like you, you, you've accumulated, you're spending life in prison, you're released, and on that day someone forgot to pay you a dollar and now you're going to beat that person up. How does that make sense? It doesn't. And so how great the Lord has forgiven us. The Bible says, therefore, forgive one another as Christ has already forgiven you. But it says that it's a great, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. <coughs> so at the end of the day, <coughs> you can't boast about this. You can't say that you did something. 
It says that he that boasts, let him boast in the Lord. Right? But let, let us let us turn real quickly back to John 3.16. We'll come to a close. It says that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Isn't that what Jesus says? He says, I am the resurrection. He that believes on me, he shall never perish, but he shall pass from death unto life. Isn't that good news that you won't perish? In other words, the Lord's wrath has been removed. Let, let, me, let me quickly show you what God has saved us from. And I know that this might be heavy for a moment. Keep your thumb there at John 3, 16. But I want us to turn to Isaiah chapter 63. I want you to see something real quick. Just so you know the extent to which God has saved you and what he has saved you from. Isaiah chapter 63, beginning at verse 3. Says, I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger, and I trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments, and I stained all my clothing. It was for me the day of vengeance, the year for me to redeem had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm achieved salvation for me. My own wrath sustained me. I trampled the nations in my anger, and in wrath I made them drunk. I poured their life, their blood on the ground. That that ain't the devil. That's God speaking. You know what the Lord spared you from? From trampling you in his anger. God didn't save you from the devil. God saved you from God. God saved you from himself. You know, as Paul Washer said this, he says, your biggest problem isn't that God is bad. Your biggest problem, if you're not in Christ, is that God is good. And because he is good, he must execute justice. And because he must execute justice, guess what he must do? He must execute his acts of judgment upon your head. And pour out your life, blood on the earth. In other words, he must make you punished. He must uh, cause you to die. He requires your life's blood. That's scary. However, they that believe in him shall not perish by God's wrath. They will not pass into judgment. Why? Because Jesus already poured out his blood for you and I. So the wrath of God is fully satisfied. So now that we come before the Father, we can come fully accepted with the Father well pleased with us. Why? Because there is no more wrath. It has already been dealt with on a hill called Calvary. That's why you and I don't perish today, because Jesus perished in our place.
<clears throat> it wasn't us who the Lord trod in his anger. It was his own son that he pressed down like a wine pressed and spattered his own son's garments, uh, spattered his own son's blood on his garments. You know, and I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not because I know some people are like, dude, this is like rated R. Like, can we stop talking about blood? It's, it, <laughs> we're kind of reading the Bible. You know what I'm saying? And you know, you know how hypocritical that is because I understand like this is heavy stuff. But some of you ain't that uptight about it when you're watching your rated R movies. Mm-hmm. Right? With all those nudity scenes and stuff and that profanity and the killings and the horror. You're kind of okay with that. Why aren't you okay with this? Something to consider. So, I'm more than okay with this. This is my life. And thank God that he saved me. And thank God he saved you. Thank God that I will not perish. Because I believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Hallelujah. It says, we will not perish, but we will have eternal life. Eternal life. Not just life. Our life will be eternal. There's a song that says, says, When we walk the streets of gold, We'll shed a tear no more. May he give you strength to endure Till we meet again. Till we walk those streets of gold, And we'll shed a tear no more. May he give you strength to endure Till we meet again. We walk the streets of gold. We won't shed a tear. The Bible says he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no suffering nor pain. For the old order of things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's what we shall inherit as his people. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, that our light and momentary affliction, which is just for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Paul says in Romans 8.18, 8, I am convinced that nothing shall compare to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Do you believe that today? That the eternal life that you shall inherit cannot compare to the, the sufferings. These momentary sufferings, these light afflictions, they're but for a moment. As we come to a close, it says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So God isn't this cosmic tyrant looking to strike everybody down. That's not his heart. He's not looking to strike people down. It tells us in Ezekiel that he doesn't desire the death of the wicked. It tells us in Second Peter that he wills for none to perish. The Bible tells us in, uh, I think it's 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, that he wills for all men to be saved. He wills it. 
<clears throat> but the sad reality is that not all men will to be saved. See, if any man finds himself unsaved, it's not because the Lord was unwilling. It was because that man was unwilling. It was because that woman was unwilling. However, however, if there be a will for any man or any woman to be saved, the Lord will go to endless lengths to ensure that that person comes to Christ. And you know what? He already has. How? Because in this manner, God has demonstrated his love for the world that he gave his only son. Not while you were going to church, not while you were baking cookies for old grandma, <laughs> while you were committing sins and atrocities and, and, and living your promiscuous lifestyle. It was in that moment that God said, I'm going to save you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so what's the appropriate response? Is to freely receive this grace. To be benefactors of this grace. To be participants of this grace. To be recipients of the grace of God. I know it was, you know... And some portions of this message was heavy, but don't allow that to subtract from the reality that God's grace is free. And he says, to whosoever wills, let him come to the water of life freely. Whoever wills, let him, let her, let them come to the water of life freely. He says, come and buy milk without price. In fact, I just want to quickly turn there just so I can quote it verbatim. I believe it's Isaiah chapter 55. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. So he's saying, come, he's inviting, he's urging us. Come, all you who are thirsty. He says, come to the waters and you who have no money. In other words, that's us. We're in debt. We have no money to pay off to God for all the sins we've committed. I, I, I don't want to offer my life's blood because the Lord does, d demands death for sin. I, I'm poor in spirit. He says, you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Buy what and eat what? He says, unless you eat of my flesh, you have no life. He's inviting us to come and drink from him and eat from him. Those who have no money, come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? And so the Lord invites us who are thirsty who are poor in spirit and it's free if you have no money you know the great song is the, uh, there's a great song that has been sung it says there's room at the cross for you there's room at the cross 
for you. It says, though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Hallelujah. It says, the Savior awaits to open the gates, to welcome the lost before it's too late. Hallelujah. Yes, there's room at the cross. So my question to us is, are, are we going to go? Are we going to accept the invitation? To lay, out, lay down our dirty rags, our dirty garments that we've stained by sin. With all of our mess, with all of our sin, with all of our transgressions, with all of our iniquities, with all of our wrongdoings all of the things that we hate about ourselves can we still find a place to come to the cross and say Lord I'm going to exchange these dirty garments for your uh, white garments of righteousness it says the Lord will freely pardon he is ready to forgive it says in Micah 7 that he delights to show mercy all you have to do is receive God so loved the world. He so loved you. He so loved I. Amen. Recording stopped.